Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 12, verses 41 through 48. Uh, But as this is a response and comes out of the last part of Jesus' discourse from last week, I'll begin reading at verse 35 uh, so that we can get a a sense of where uh, the the discourse comes from, where uh, Jesus' admonition to Peter arises from. But before I do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you again this morning in the name of Christ. We come in the name of Christ to hear your word. To hear those words that you infallibly inspired by your Holy Spirit, uh, the evangelist Luke, uh, who wrote these words, and the Spirit who preserved these words infallibly these 2,000 years, and who uses these words to infallibly instruct us, correct and reprove us, and teach us in all things, that we might be thoroughly furnished to every good work, to the glory of Jesus Christ. And we ask, dear Lord, that your word would not return unto you void, but that it would, by your spirit, be planted deeply within our hearts this morning, that it might bear fruit, that it might bear the fruit of repentance, that it might bear the fruit of faith, that it might bear the fruit of diligent obedience unto your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 12. Verses 35 through 48. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall find, make ruler over his household, to give uh, them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But if that servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be built, beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. And his people said, Amen. We have here, Jesus had been discoursing, uh, teaching uh, the disciples, and by disciples I mean not the twelve apostles, 
But the larger company of disciples, remember there was a company of 12, there was a company of 70 that he sent out to preach, and then there were larger followers of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but he was preaching to the multitude, some that were not yet his disciples, we read at the beginning and opening of the chapter. And previous to that, he had been preaching and had been at the Pharisees' house and had admonished the Pharisees of their hypocrisies and then called out the scribes and the lawyers uh, because they had a higher position within that group of false disciples, we may say, and had led others astray. So all of this is in the background when Peter is listening and he's hearing of these privileges, like the privilege in verse 37, the watchful servants. Uh, when the Lord comes, the Lord of that place will make himself a servant to the servants. And we see Jesus has done that himself. Jesus demonstrated what he means by that ultimately on the cross. But even on the night in which he was betrayed, when he went and washed his disciples' feet. That those who will be great in the kingdom of God must be least, make themselves least for the good of the lesser. That Christ himself said, I came not to be ministered unto. In other words, I came not to be served. He was worthy of all service by being Lord in heaven above. He came down and was made man that he might serve. A people unworthy of it to be true, but who needed it nonetheless. But Peter has not quite yet learned all these lessons. Remember, Peter is the one that after he confessed uh, that... That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Also, when Christ was talking about his crucifixion, said, Lord, let this not be so. And Christ had to turn to him after he had declared him to be the rock upon which the church is built to get behind me, Satan. Because the disciples had to learn this as well. It's not natural to, even as faithful people, uh, the, the, uh, the, um, the grace of the kingdom of heaven is not natural to us. And so Peter asks, and we're not sure exactly what the motivation was, but certainly there is a certain sense in which he's wanting to see a distinction between himself and his, his college of apostles, his brethren, and, and the, the masses of disciples that will follow. And perhaps he's thinking that, that this sounds like a judgment that he would be uh, excluded from. Because they're, let's face it, we live, in a, we live in a country that ought not to, used to not do this, but we live in a country that has people that are in leadership and governing positions that think and act and actually get excused from following the law that the rest of us must follow. And that was not a, this is not a new thing. That was considered at some point the privilege of uh, kingship or aristocracy, the kingship or the, the privilege of office bearing in the Roman Empire, that you were somehow above the law because you were the law. Or it could be that Peter is thinking that, no, 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 the, the privileges that are laid out in verse 37, that the Lord would be their service, servant, might be exclusive to the apostles and not for just the common, ordinary Christian. But the short answer that Jesus gives, and I'm going to summarize it and not keep you in suspense about this, is that they're all, all disciples are servants. There are servants. There are servants to the servants. There is a hierarchy in the kingdom of heaven. 
But it is still a hierarchy of service. And that the greater privilege that they have is greater responsibility and judgment that they have. And so Peter, Peter is, is being gently rebuked. I mean, after all, he, didn't, he, he wasn't exactly obvious in, in the intentions of his question. Uh, but he is warned off and seen that, that, this, that whatever they are, they're also servants along with the rest of the disciples. So the question is, do all need to watch? Uh, and in the answer, and in the answer, we get in verses 42 through 44, that's at least the, the basic answer. Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. And of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. There are stewards in the kingdom of God. It's important to note the words in these verses. The household is another reference for the household servants. And in this, the steward was one of the servants. But he was the one of the servants that that made sure the rest of the servants were able to do their jobs, that they were fed and provided for. And it's necessary uh, that, that these servants be, have an authority, but that authority was an authority of service. One of the things that we learn in this passage, by the way, is a, and this is, this is not exclusively to American Christianity, but because of the history of our own country, we threw off a king and we have representative government and that sort of thing. There, and we got rid of aristocracy and nobility. And that's, we're, we have sort of this egalitarian, at least in principle, sort of feeling in America. And the idea is that the kingdom of Christ conforms to our modern political theories about how government should happen. But one of the things that we learn here is that within the kingdom of heaven, and if we're picturing it as according to this parable as the servants of the household of the king or the Lord, there is a hierarchy. There are stewards there that have a certain authority, but that authority is to feed. All are servants, but some servants serve over the other servants for their good. Verse 42. And that reminds us that the church is a kingdom. The church is a kingdom in service of her king. Now, in various points in history, that notion of the church as a kingdom has allowed uh, the church to conform to earthly kingdoms and a complexity of, of government and polity. Uh, in times of Reformation, we have stripped that back to the biblical principles because it isn't an earthly kingdom. It isn't designed to exercise earthly power. It is designed to follow the Savior in his form of authority, which is service leadership. He gave himself for our good. Like a husband gives himself for the wife's good. Christ gave himself for the church, the bride of Christ. Christ gives himself for the flock. He's the shepherd that puts himself at risk, puts himself under penalty to reach back and get that lost sheep. So the church is a kingdom in service to her king, but the authority of those within that structure 
It is an authority to feed the whole church, to benefit the whole church. It is, it is an, it's an authority to serve. That's what it is. That's true not only of the deacons, who we think of more clearly in that role, but it's also true of the elders and the stewards of the mysteries of God, that is, the elders that preach, the pastors, if you will. We see this in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is giving his farewell to the elders of Ephesus. In Acts 20, 28, he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. He's talking to the elders, and he says overseers, which in Greek is bishops. To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. Paul. Paul will see even in in the lifetime of those elders, he is telling them they need to be watchful because there are going to be false sons, false stewards in their midst. Jesus calls those false shepherds in John chapter 10 hirelings who serve themselves at the expense of the flock. And it is a danger for not only all officers of the church, but particularly for pastors. That, that are supported by the church and, and their livelihood. It's a danger. It's one of these things that we have to constantly, am I, am I serving you to serve myself or am I serving you? And it's not easy. And it's a, it's a temptation that's constantly at the door. And all of you officers of the church need to be aware that it is a real temptation Peter wasn't immune to it. Paul wasn't immune to it. John and James weren't immune to it. Who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Judas certainly wasn't immune to it. And if there was a Judas in that original college of apostles, there can quite clearly be a Judas in our midst. So there are stewards in the kingdom of heaven. This is one thing that Jesus establishes quite clearly. It's not that uh, we just go out and anytime we gather together as a bunch of Christians, we have the complete church there. We have a church of the Lord Jesus Christ wherever he calls people. But he's instituted and set this, these officers in the church not to serve the church by obeying the church's whims, but to serve the church by obeying Christ. For the same reason that we elect representatives not to do what we tell them to do, but to operate according to the law of the land for the good of the people that have elected it. Right? That's that. that it's hard in today's world when we don't really think of higher standards anymore. But that's the ideal in our government, and that is the way that the church ought to operate. So there are stewards. But what then does it mean to watch and be ready for their Lord's coming? How does that differ from the rest of the disciples? And I don't know that it does differ. But there are different ways in which it's exercised. What is watching for a steward? It's being faithful. Faithfulness. You know, when you put somebody in charge of your household, you're, you're entrusting them with a great deal. 
There have been many uh, a lord, many a noble, many a king that have put a trust in his steward only to find the trust, the steward to turn on him and make himself lord at the life of the noble. We get this in the history of, of Israel. Uh, when the Assyrians come, we were reading in family worship today, Sennacherib comes and lays siege to Jerusalem, goes home after the Lord has worked uh, to drive away the Assyrians, goes home, uh, goes into the house of his God, and there he loses his life to unfaithful stewards, but also sons. Many of the dynasties of the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom had the one dynasty of David. Many of the dynasties in the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom, Jeroboam's dynasty was cut short by Omri, a great man entrusted with greatness in the house of of Jeroboam. Uh, I forget his name, starts with a J because don't they all? Jotham uh, cut off the dynasty of Amri, which includes Ahab and Jezebel. As a trusted general in his house, a trusted servant. Uh, stewards are not always faithful. And when they are not, they're treacherous. But it's necessary that a steward be found faithful. That's what makes a steward a steward. In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul speaking uh, of his own ministry. He says in verse, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, So let a man account of us. As ministers or servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That's what they're quintessential. It's not just everybody has to have faith and everybody has to be faithful to a certain extent. But but there's a faithfulness in the entrusted work that is required of the steward. And that means you have to be wise. Look at verse 42. Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? In due season that they need to timely distribute the word of God to give them their portion. So it is a wisely and timely providing uh, for the household, for the kingdom of heaven, for the people of God out of the word. If you look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, we have Paul uh, creating the next generation of stewards, speaking unto Timothy. He says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun provane and vain babbling, for they will increase unto more unto ungodliness. Um, he has to study to show himself approved, that he need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, in recent history, rightly dividing the word of truth has been because people don't understand the word dividing and how it's used in the English of the time. Um, it, it's not chopping up the Bible and making different you know, dispensations or whatever. Uh, it is dividing here is as the, the steward of the house divides the portion with the household servants. He's making wise allotment of the resources. He is... Uh, as, as pastoral ministry, he's taking the word of God to one person and, and pressing the law of God against sin because that person needs to hear it. But another one who's weighed down in sin and is almost given up, he needs to hear the promises of God, uh, that, that there is forgiveness. And sometimes it's the same person at different times. But there's a timely distribution of the word of God unto the people of God. 
And that's true. We can see that clearly in the pastoral role, who is primarily a teacher and a preacher. But this is also true of the elders who exercise spiritual oversight of the congregation. It's also true of deacons who are serving the, the, the more ordinary needs of the congregation with the congregation's resources. That that's also a spiritual ministry with a spiritual authority. And these, this is the, the work the work that these stewards are to do, and they are to be diligently in so doing, looking unto Jesus Christ, as he says in verse 43, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall so find him doing. Are as those, all those servants that were waiting for their Lord's return and were ready at the second hour of the night, at the watch of the night, the third hour, the third watch of the night uh, to serve him. This is, this is what it is to serve. They're stewards in the kingdom of God. Now, these stewards, though, are not privileged from judgment. They have a role, a privileged role in the church. Um, but it's, it's a privilege of service. It's a privilege of more work. Uh, but they're not privileged from judgment. Indeed, they're exposed to more judgment. Look in verse 45 and 46. This is to kind of humble Peter a little bit. But and if that servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and the maid serv- uh, maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and an hour when he is not aware. And he will cut him in sunder and appoint him with the portion of the unbelievers. We see in these two verses that the root of the evil is lack of fear in his judgment. They're saying the Lord is delayed in his judgment. I have time to to pursue my own ends. It is the same as that servant who was not caring about the time the thief would come and and let the, the, the house get broken into. Or as Jesus begins this chapter with discourses against hypocrisy, and he lays that hypocrisy at the feet of those who fear those who can kill the body, but don't fear him who can kill and also cast into hell. Verses 4 and 5. The root of the evil is a lack of fear in his judgment, a lack of looking for his coming. A lack. Remember, the coming of the Lord primarily is his second coming when he will bring all things unto judgment. But it also includes each one of us. If Christ delays for 2,000 years, we won't be there in the body unless we're raised up. Right to meet him in the air. But we won't be there in this life with Christ Jesus. We already have seen him in our spirit. But we nevertheless in this life will have a time when we come to meet our maker. When we die and our life is required of us. But not only that, remember the way that Christ comes to the church is often in those opportunities he gives to show ourselves faithful. When he's speaking to the seven churches in Uh, Asia Minor in the book of Revelation, he says, beware, I'm coming and knocking and will you open unto me? I mean, that's judgment because these were these were warnings. These were not, oh, I'm coming to do you good. No, I'm coming to see whether you are faithful. That we all have to be ready for all of the opportunities that Christ gives us to serve him and that we don't want to be found Uh, faithless, but particularly elders, deacons, myself, 
God forbid that we should be found faithless when he comes. And note that there will be times when he does so come. What makes us fail at that time is that we have lost sight of the fact that God is God and he does what he says he's going to do and he will bring all things in judgment and he expects us to be responding to him. We also see that persecution and abuse arise in the church from a lack of that godly fear. He will say, the Lord delays his coming And he will beat the men servants and the maidens. He will abuse the sheep. All that comes. I mean, if there would be no abusive pastors, if every pastor feared the Lord he served. Where does that come from? It comes from a lack of real. It comes from a lack of faith. That's why in verse forty six. He's appointed allotment with the unbelievers. In other words, he's cast into hell. Like the Pharisees and the lawyers that we saw at the end of chapter 11, faithlessness produces worldliness. We eat, drink, be merry. What we see at the end of verse 45, and it produces judgment. Such hypocrites will be judged unbelievers in hell. We see, by the way, in this, and we see also in the more positive notes in verse 44, of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. In verse 37, when, when the servants come to serve their Lord, the Lord will himself serve the servants. That God is just in his grace and he's gracious in his justice. That's what, that's basically what is meant in the end. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of them they will ask the more. When God gives you his mercy, he expects you to use it. And there will be, uh, there will be rewards, not rewards of merit. We don't deserve to have the Lord's service. There's nothing you or I can do. We will see in Luke chapter 17 of the parable of the, stu- uh, of the, the servant. When the servant has done everything that was commanded of him, he doesn't deserve thanks. He's done what was required of him. And yet, and yet that Jesus tells the servants to to humble us there. But then he goes on and he said that parable after this parable so that we might know that that's not the situation in the church. When we serve him out of his grace, He indebts himself to us, that he's going to serve us. I mean, he says it. God is not unfaithful to remember the kindness that you have shown to his people. As if that made God indebted to us. It doesn't. But he indebts himself to us out of grace and mercy. So when we serve him and we've been found faithful, not perfect, but faithful, he will enlarge that. But on the other hand, when we have been given much and abused it, we will suffer judgment. Some will be ignorant, though. You notice that in verse 48, where it says, But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall still be beaten with stripes, 
huge stripes, but still still be beaten. Uh, ignorance does not excuse our sin. It might mitigate the punishment for it, but it doesn't excuse our sin. There's justice in his grace, but privilege comes with responsibility. Remember what he says to the lawyers. The lawyers, the, the church that had been corrupted in his day, that was fastly becoming the synagogue of Satan. Jesus tells the lawyers who are complaining about his harsh words to them, he says, Woe unto you also, you lawyers, verse 46 of chapter 11. For ye loathe men with burdens grievous to be borne, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Or verse 52. He says, Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering ye hindered. Well, that's what an unjust steward does. He abuses the sheep. He doesn't himself enter into grace, by the way. He's appointed with the unbelievers. And he hinders those that, that should be fed. Now, admonitions to here. For those of you who, uh, well, I'm the only pastor here, I think. Maybe some of you might be future pastors. Um, so consider that. But also elders, deacons. You have a duty. That duty is a privilege to serve your king. A privilege to serve Jesus Christ. And you need to take it as such. And, and it is a blessing to be found watching. Blessed is that man whom the Lord shall find so watching. I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. That, you know, you're an elder, a deacon, a, a pastor of this small little uh, portion of the kingdom of heaven in, in Heidelberg, Jasper County, Mississippi. But you will be, and maybe the words will be different, who knows, but you will be a faithful deacon will be a deacon to the kingdom of heaven in all eternity. An elder will sit with those 24 elders that John saw in that heavenly vision and that grand eternal hierarchy of the kingdom of heaven. That is not a small, insignificant blessing. But it does require your faithfulness. It does put upon you a, faith, a, a responsibility to work and to do. So you need to put effort into growing in that work that you do. You know, you, you, you receive the privilege. Let, let me tell you, I'm a pastor. I got my Master of Divinity degree. I got ordained by Presbytery. I cringe when somebody says, let's do continuing education. I take offense at that. On the other hand, I am not exercising my grace properly if I'm not continually educating myself. Paul tells Timothy, 2.15 again, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Not one of us can't be a better deacon or elder or pastor. Now, to the rest of you, though, to the household of God, this isn't a sermon just for the officers of the church. It's a sermon for you, too. You need to recognize that what is said about these officers are said for your benefit, that you need to recognize that they are there for your good, and you need to help them and aid them. 
we can't pray for you the way we ought to pray for you if we don't know what's going on with you. The deacons can't provide for your needs if you will, in pride, pretend you have no needs. Pastors can't counsel you when you're struggling with sin if you don't tell him you're struggling with sin. But also, you know, it's just, it's right and good that you, you recognize, and again, you help them also when you remind them where they're doing wrong. When you, and, and I get this, you, you haven't seen so-and-so in a while. You need to go check up on them. I do. Because as small as my flock is, I get distracted. And so I need these encouragements. And your, your elders and your deacons need these encouragements. In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. You may not like them. You may not think they do it the most pleasing way, but for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And then also in, in Hebrews 13, verse 7 and 17, uh, the writer admonishes them, Remember them which have rule over you, who has spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Now, if they're not watching for your souls, you don't obey abusive, Pastor. For they watch for your souls, as they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that will be unprofitable for you. You know, they have much responsibility and they have a high level of accountability that they have to have for. And, and because of that greater privilege, they are coming under greater judgment. But notice that the writer to the Hebrews says, if you make it hard for them, some of that judgment might spill over upon you as well. So let's remember that and encourage it. Uh, give constructive criticism when it's needed. But I will say this. It's just good to be encouraged. If we're doing something right, tell us so that we can keep doing it and not thinking we're wasting our time. Uh, but we all need Because the stewards are not a separate class within the church. They're still servants of Christ. And what Christ says to one, he says to all. Christ says that in Matthew 13. That we all are supposed to, as he said earlier in, in 37, 35 and following, we all need to be ready. For when our Lord comes, we all will receive a reward that we don't deserve when our Lord comes if we are found faithful. So let's watch. Let's watch unto his coming. Let's pray for those opportunities that we can have to serve the Lord and serving one another. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And as we go forth, we ask for your grace and mercy. We know, dear Lord, that we have not been as diligent as we ought. We know, Father, that we grow weary and waiting. And that we forget to look to you. We ask, dear Lord, that you would work in our hearts, that we would stir ourselves up in the faithfulness to you. And I ask, Father, that we would be faithful not only to you, but to one another. And to that call that you have given us, whatever it may be. We ask, dear Lord, that you would magnify your name in our hearts, 
and keep us in your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.